0: Hey, today, um, you know, I know it's a little warm in here, but we'll get through it, amen, we're okay. Years and years ago, actually, I was on a mission trip with John Castillo and uh, Bridgeway. We took our teenagers on a missions trip to Casuna, Honduras, and it was hot, and they had no A.C., and not even windows, and this, like, kind of, you know, concrete uh, room, and just, I mean, right, just so hot, and yet people were singing and dancing and worshiping in the Lord, and, uh, and so every time, you know, uh, just reminded of just, just. God is worthy of our praise, whether it's warm or cold, and thank God for this place. Amen. All right. Well, today we're in part four of Swing Your Sword, and Matthew chapter five is where I'm going to start talking about, but Matthew chapter six is where we're going to be, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there, get out your sermon notes, and uh, stay with me today, and I'm going to move through the content fairly fast because I want to get to the end because I think in the end it'll help kind of bring some things together. All right, so Matthew chapter 5, um, do me a favor, if somebody in the back, uh, can you, my wife has a, a printed off email, and I need that up here, so I think my wife uh, has it, if she does, if you can find it, that'd be great. All right, so Matthew chapter 5 uh, is where I want to begin talking about, and it's going to set us up in Matthew chapter 6. By the way, uh, in this series, we're talking about Matthew 6.33, or today is Matthew 6.33, so Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins his teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. It's an opening sermon, and in this opening sermon that Jesus teaches, here's what he talks about. Here's his construction of his very first sermon. He begins by talking about blessed is the one, blessed is the one. The word blessed in Greek is happy. So he talks about happiness, Then he talks about murder, and he talks about adultery. He talks about divorce. He talks about prayer. He talks about forgiveness, and he talks about fasting. So he has a pretty light message, okay? Well, then he moves into the topic of money in his very first sermon that he ever gave. I 100% today encourage you to go read Matthew 5 and 6 and see if what I teach you today lines up. I encourage you to do so. So Matthew chapter 6, he turns his attention to money. Now, this whole series is about swinging your sword. The sword is the weapon of the spirit. Now, you have to remember, you have a soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So you have desires, I have desires, we have a mind, we have thoughts, we have emotions. And the soul is often referred to in Scripture as the flesh, where Paul says, this is your flesh, these are your desires, these are what you crave. But he says, don't give way to the flesh, give way to the spirit. Let the spirit operate in your life. Let the spirit control your life, not your own will, not your own desires, not your own emotions, not your own thoughts. Let God's thoughts be your thoughts, that kind of a thing. So in the context today, we're going to talk about money. And by the way, if you often visit churches, and if you're visiting today, and it's like, man, everywhere I go, I hear money. Maybe God wants to talk to you about money, you know? Anyways, so... He talks about money, and and this whole thing is about trying to get the flesh, the soul, if you would, to get an alignment with the spirit. That's what this is about. So here's where he begins his turn to money, verse 19, Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he contrasts these two phrases, treasures on earth to treasures in heaven. And he begins by talking about the things that can be destroyed, the things that are on earth. The word vermin is a Greek word, brosis, which means to eat away. Most likely, this is a picture in the Middle East. Many individuals uh, who were of great wealth consisted of corn and grain were stored away in great barns or great amounts. And he says, if you do that, that could be eaten away by different, you know, animals or insects or could go mold on it. He says, don't store up your treasures there. In addition to that, in the Middle Eastern part, the individual's wealth often consisted of fine clothing, just like many times we see today, where wealthy might, people might put themselves in elaborate clothing. But such things were foolish to set their heart on because moths might get at them. When they're stored away and all their beauty and value would diminish or be destroyed. And then he talks about a place where thieves could come in and steal. The reason he makes a reference to that is because in Palestine, many of the walls and the houses were made of nothing stronger than like baked clay. And so it was easy for a thief to come in and steal and grab whatever treasures were in the house. So Jesus is simply making a warning against pleasures that wear out, erode away, or can be stolen. Treasures on earth give no permanent security or satisfaction. If we're wise, we'll build our happiness on the things which we cannot lose, things that are independent of chances or changes in this life. That's the whole point of Jesus' statement. Write that in your notes. What separates treasures on earth from treasures in heaven is the word permanence. Thank you. Write in the word permanence. Thank you. Okay, I just got the letter, the note from my wife. She just sent me a love note. Thank you. I'll try to find it on my email if I can get to it. What separates treasures on earth from treasures in heaven is the word permanence. Jesus teaches when we spend our money, consider its permanence. Jesus teaches that a spending has eternal rewards. There are treasures in heaven, so according to Jesus, there are rewards in heaven. At some degree. So when he talks about spending money, he talks about these treasures, he talks about this idea of permanence. Consider the permanence. In fact, we do that all the time. We say, hey, if you're going to buy something, make sure it's of good value, or it's worthwhile, or it's not cheap, or it's not going to break soon. He talks about this idea of permanence as it relates to our money. There's a great quote by a guy named Jim Elliott. He was a missionary who died for the faith. He was martyred. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Then Jesus tells his disciples why we should spend our money on the things that last. And here's what he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And by the way, if you have the Bible app and you notice today that that's the verse of the day, I did not know that. I wrote this out a week ago, so it's not that me and the app get together and talk about what what I'm preaching. They don't ask me. But maybe God wants to communicate, amen? Yeah. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus makes the conclusion that you can only have your treasure and your heart in one place. Do you disagree? I will pause for your no. You can only have your heart and your treasure in one place. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. It cannot be separated according to Jesus. Investing our treasure in material things keeps our hearts anchored to earthly values. But when we invest in things of eternal value, our hearts remain loyal to God. I want you to write this into your notes. There's a connection between our heart for the Lord and our giving to the Lord. I want to pause there. You may not like this, but it's true. There is a connection. Jesus draws the conclusion, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. There is a connection between your heart for the Lord and your giving to the Lord. You can try to run from that all you want. You can try to deny that, but you will be wrong. There is a connection between your giving financially, your money, and your heart for the Lord you cannot separate the two you cannot pretend that that does not exist and it's not necessary and it's not needed jesus said wherever your treasure is there your heart is also you think about that and you say well what does that mean anybody in here would like 10,000 dollars of stock anybody raise your hand if you would i have a bag of money today under your chair is a number I did this. Under your chair is a number between 101 and 150, and number 76 is going to get $10,000 of stock. Anybody want to check their chair? You know you do because you're wondering, maybe. So if I gave you $10,000 of stock or you took your own money and put $10,000 into a particular stock, I guarantee you, you'd watch that stock. You would care what's happening in that stock that you do not care about today because you have no money in that stock. Wherever you put your money, your heart goes after it. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, why would he say that? All right, watch He goes to illustrate this point further. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. He doesn't derail, he's right in the conversation of money. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus tells us simply this. Either our eyes will be directed at heavenly things, full of light, Or our eyes will be directed at darkness or earthly things. Still in the same conversation. When we're double-minded, this is his last sentence. If you're double-minded, it's as if your whole body is full of darkness. Which makes sense because he goes into verse 24 and he says, powerful statement. No one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word serve is a Greek word, which means to be a slave. You can serve two people, but you can't be a slave to two masters. So I don't like the word serve in of itself right here because the better translation would be no one can be a slave to two masters. The word treasure, we get Aramaic possessions. You'll differ. Translations of treasure, possessions, money, materialistic things. It's impossible for a slave to serve two masters. Each claims them as his property. Think about it a slave is the property of one master. And that slave must respond to his master with full devotion. So, this is an issue of loyalty that Jesus is addressing. He's simply saying you can't be loyal to God and you can't be loyal to your money. You're loyal to one or the other, but you can't be loyal to both. This is the chief competitor for your heart is me or your money. You've got to be loyal to either or. It cannot be both. It's an issue of loyalty. The word hate here comes as a comparative sense and it's a displacement of higher authority or higher loyalty, I should say. The one you're devoted to. In other words, you could write this in we are either God centered or money centered. There is no other option. Your life it is either God centered or it's money centered. Those are your options. According to Jesus, those are your options God centered, money centered. I think you could fill that in and say God centered, self centered. When you're money centered, you're self centered. This is the devotion. Jesus says we can only worship one, and it's either him or it's money. There isn't room and lives for both. So how do we know if we're a slave to money and not God? That would be a great question to ask. I think the word is sacrifice. Sacrifice is an indicator of service. In other words, a question might be to ask yourself, which one do you sacrifice for? If we will sacrifice for the sake of money, but will not sacrifice for the sake of Jesus, then money is our God. Many people wake up every single day and sacrifice for money. Think about all the sacrifice that people will do to gain more income, more money, work multiple jobs, work this, work that, do that, to gain more, 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 but they rarely sacrifice for the Lord. Sacrifice for the Lord. Sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving is I give and it hurts a little. That was a sacrifice. I had to give up something so I could give something. Sacrificial Jesus continues on in the teaching and he says, therefore, and that's a very important word because some think what he's talking about now he's going to go into worry. He's talking about anxiety. No, he's still connecting the dots to money. Therefore, based off what I just told you in regards to money, therefore, carries it over. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. How many of you have ever been worried about your finances? Raise your hand high. Come on. You ever worried about it in your life? I know today you don't, but look, raise your hand. You ever worry about money? Come on, keep your hand up. Yeah, there you go. If you got kids, got a life, retirement, You worry about money. How are we going to get this? How are we going to pay for that? How are we going to do that? Okay, the best news in the world is Jesus is about to tell you how not to worry about money ever again. If I could say, You don't have to worry about money for the rest of your life. How many of you would say, hallelujah, amen, praise Jesus? Now most, yeah, come on, yeah, woo, that's good church, you know, all that, okay. We would, we, we all the time say, man, it would be so nice to not have to worry about money. And so we play the lottery. Or, you know, or you look at someone who has way more money than you do, Okay, and that's all contextual. Something like that. Oh, how nice it would be not to have to worry about money. Okay. Jesus says, I'm going to show you how not to worry about money. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Then he talks about what money buys, what you eat, what you drink, your body, what you wear. Same conversation about clothing, what wears out. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Remember their their wealth? They're storing up their grain in barns. Look at these birds. They're not storing up stuff for them forever. Don't I take care of them? Then he says, are you not much more valuable than they? One of the reasons people refuse to give to the local body of Christ is because you forget you're valuable to the Lord. If you knew you were valuable to the Lord, you would never fret about giving to the Lord. It's a value issue. Are you valuable to the Lord? And if you are, then why fret about giving to him? Will he take care of you? Will he let you down? All right. This is his point he's making. Can any of you, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No, worry doesn't work. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. We'll talk about that in a minute. He's not saying he's going to cast people to hell in this context. He says, will, will he not much more clothe you you of little faith? Here's Jesus' whole point of that uh, illustration or a parable, if you want to call it that, or a teaching. God puts a lot of care into making flowers and the colors, and how they grow, and how they develop, think about all the attention to detail he puts in to a little flower, and he's simply saying, now, eventually that flower, and in this culture, this context, many of the grass, and hay, and flowers, and whatever branches they could find, whatever, would be thrown into fire, and used as heat source, or cooking, so this is how much attention and detail I put into the grass of the field so that you can just burn it up all the time. How much more do you think I care about you if I put that much work into detail into the fields that you're just going to burn up shortly? His point is value. You have little faith. The idea of faith is, don't you know that I loved you, care for you, you're valuable to me? Do you trust me? That's his whole point. Verse 31, so do not worry about saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Still the same context as where we started in verse 19. For the pagans run after these things, earthly living. And your heavenly fathers knows that you need them. Then he gives the solution. He gives the answer. How do you not worry? He says, well, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word seek here means to aim at or strive at. So seek first his kingdom. Let's take that aside for just a minute. What does it mean to seek his kingdom? You're going to aim at or strive at his kingdom first. To seek his kingdom simply means to desire above all, to enter into full submission and to participate in the spreading of the gospel and making more disciples. You have God's kingdom. Matthew 6, he talks about prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So even in prayer, he talks about alignment of God's will to our will, like he's aligning these two wills. That The first priority in the disciple's life, those in the audience that are listening to him, that he's trying to suggest is seek first God's kingdom. That means everything revolves around trying to fulfill God's plan in your life and in the lives of those around him. And here's his whole mission in life, because Jesus would say at the end of his life, is to go and baptize, make disciples of all the nation, right? Baptize them, fill them up with the spirit, pray for them, lead them, write to him, make disciples, carry the gospel. This is the mission of God. There's no secret to that. That seems clear. So how do I seek first his kingdom? What does that mean? That means I simply go, I'm going to aim at and strive at, first and foremost, doing all that I can in full submission to advancing your gospel to the world. That's our first aim. And the second is his righteousness. Seek first his righteousness. What does that mean? Does not mean justification. In other words, he's not saying seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That means aim at being justified so you can enter heaven. No, because we're saved by grace. But it says, along the way, if you would think about it like this, along the way, as you're trying to advance his kingdom, come into alignment with God, live righteously along that path. Aim at living out a righteous life, submitting to God's will. A continue obligation. Disciples and His followers are to direct their attention consistently towards His kingdom and His righteousness. And Jesus' teaching is simply about priorities. Write this down. The central message of Matthew 6:33 is God first. God first. In every area of our lives, God first. This teaching by Jesus demands a commitment to find, to do the will of God, to align totally with his purpose, and this commitment must come first. His whole point is, it's not to be crowded out by material concerns, and Jesus promised, he assured, those who do this, who aim or strive after God first, all their material needs will be provided. Which means followers, his followers, should have no material concern. Worrying about the needs being met is unnecessary. Simply put, if we put God first, God will take care of the rest. God will take care of the rest. Write this in. When our money is mastered by the Lord, our money will serve his purpose. Would you imagine a world where Christians practice Matthew Matthew 6.33. Where they sought first him and his kingdom and his righteousness would rule and govern their entire lives. Ordering their priorities around God first. This is about priority. Jesus wants us to know that money is not a worthy object to devote our lives to. If we think it is worthy, then our God is our money. Then our life will be cursed with worry. If your life is cursed with worry, you may have a money heart issue over there, need to address. Jesus calls them to change their passion, in other words. If they're going to follow him, be more passionate about his kingdom, advancing his kingdom, which is what he's wanting his disciples to do, then a habit or a passion can only be given up by a greater habit or passion. It's to replace it and to make him the central piece of their passion and their life. Giving money to the Lord is not as much about money as it is about statement of priority in your life. When we give God our money to him first, we recognize who is first place in our life. Psalm 24 verse 1 says that all things in the world belong to God. Giving to him first at the very top is a statement of trust. When we give to God first, we say we trust you to meet our needs. I care more about advancing your kingdom than anything else. You first. And here's the typical debate as it relates to money, and it's centered around how much. Most people, when they come to me about questions, is about how much, how much. And the word that we get hung up on is tithe. Well, is it 10% or what's the deal with that? I don't know. And it becomes about how much. I want to help you with something, because I think this is absolutely critical for you as you think about money as it revolves around God and his kingdom and the church. Write this down if you would, and I'll help you unpack it. What we give to God can be debated. When we give to God cannot. You and I could sit down over a cup of coffee and you could go rounds with me and you could bring your commentaries and your studies and your Old Testament and your New Testament. You could try to debate with me all day long about 10% or not 10%. And some of you can make a really good argument about why the 10% is Old Testament. Jesus doesn't say it in Matthew 27, 27, or 23, 23, where he says tithing is good. Trust me, I know. I've read it. I get it. Is tithing 10%? Well, the tithing is for the today. tithing for the today? And the central question around tithing and giving to the church is simply around the 10%. Go ahead, debate it. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's debate it. But you will lose if I ask you when. There is no debate when. First. This is a priority issue. It's not about percentage as much as it is about priority. Stop arguing about percentage I would say to the local church and say start talking about priority. That's the deception of Satan for the church to divide and argue about percentage when the whole point is priority. You want to talk about percentage, let's go there. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, all things belong to the Lord. Everything on the earth belongs to Him. So how much of your money belongs to Him? 100%. So if you want to talk about how much a percentage belongs to the Lord, I got the answer for you. Every single penny. See, I hate, I, you know, I love it when people say, preach, come on, preach. Man, I wish the church would do it. I'm going to be honest with you about something right here, okay? Oh, goodness. These are the moments where I was, just shut up, Ricky. <sighs> okay, real talk. I'm going to try to help you on your exit as you leave, never come back. So I'm going to help another church when you, so another church is going to be blessed by my teaching. Um. All right, you ready for this? Okay. If you want me to sit down, I'll be happy to to give you better detail about what I'm about to tell you. But what I'm about to tell you is, is true. All right? All right. I've been doing ministry 16 years, senior pastor for seven. I've talked to many senior pastors, church planners, large and small, all over the nation. The data I'm about to give you, I've given to some of you in private conversations, but I'm going to give it to all of you now. I told you, imagine a world where Christians actually believe Matthew 6.33. Priority. All right, ready? Here we go. So here's some fake numbers, but the ratio is the same. No matter what church you go to, in Trinity, Odessa, Florida area, choose one. This will be statistically about the same. If you have 100 people, right, 100 people in a church, we'll call them 100 families, in church world, they'll call them units, just to kind of see it as a giving unit. Give you have 100 units, 100 people within the church, 20 units, that is to say one family writes a check or 120, you know, one family gives, the Hughes family gives, we're one, one unit. 20 units out of the 100 carry 80% of the church's finances. That means 20 families in a church of 100 carry 80% of the budget which means 80% of the people in the church give 20. Now out of that 80, it's about half actually a little less that carry the next 20%. I'm telling you giving in American churches we talk about generosity you know what the truth is churches in America are so not generous. It's not the organization it's the people churches struggle all the time and it's a percentage game if you have a thousand then you have 200 people tithing really 800 don't if you have a church of 10,000 the same stats apply so it becomes a numbers game can I ask you the question Jesus asked without condemning you where is your faith don't you know how valuable you are to him? It wasn't condemning. Jesus, wasn't. Jesus was trying to encourage them, stop worrying about money, just do what I tell you to do and trust me. Just put me first. Make me the priority of your life and you don't have to ever worry about what you wear, what you eat, or what you need. That's his heart. Make the church the priority in your life, not your retirement plan. I'll take care of your retirement plan. goodness, I know I just lost 50 of you and but there's four other churches around i are going to say thank you Ricky, I appreciate that I'm just being honest with you, I'm not beating you up I love our church but we could do better every church, it's the same by the way so it's not like, we're in the same it's all the same no matter where you go, it's the same Just want us to obey the Lord. So churches have to do all kinds of crafty things, tell cool stories and videography and get all those stories and craft stories and move your hearts to compel you. And And I just asked asked John this week, I told him I'm preaching on money when he's coming to visit. He's like, great. I'm like, I know, it's Sunday you chose. And I said, when is obedience just going to be enough? Like, why do we have to pull strings and get people emotional and play sappy songs and tell awesome videos, testimonies, stories, and what why do we have to do that? Ramp up campaigns and campaigns and a, why? When is just simply God's word alone good enough to do what he said? You get so wrapped up in how much, and you never even start with first. Stop debating with your family or internally if you're single with well how much just start with first all right here's why Jesus wants you to give him first so Ricky can have more money and he can buy better clothes sounds no right no so so the church going to have big buildings no we want a building of course but no that's not it The reason Jesus wants you to give to him first, this is in scripture, it's so clear, is here's why, write it down. When we seek him first, we find him. And when we find him, we find all we need. He wants you not to worry about your money. He wants you to find a relationship with him where he values you so much, you never have to worry about it again. That's what he wants for you. He's so desperately, so he's saying, hey, when you put me first in your life, you find everything you need. Me. All you need is me. And if I care this much about the birds in the air and the grass in the fields, how much more do you think I'm going to care about you, you of little faith? It's his heart for people. And he knows the stress that finances can bring on a person's life and a person's marriages. The number one reason why people get divorced is Finances. And he hates it. Why don't you just trust me? Put me first. Pursue righteousness. And let me take care of everything else. Do you trust me? That's his whole point. I invite you to swing your sword. I invite the band forward. Every single week we've been landing with Matthew. Or a, a verse that invite you to swing. Matthew 6.33. We'll put it up on the screen. I invite the band. You can come up as we wrap up today. So here's why I'm going to put this sword up. When you're debating about giving money to the local church, to the body of Christ, to his bride, when you're debating about that, I want you to swing this sword. Ready? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you as well. Okay, we've been doing this for three weeks. This is our fourth week. Now you know to to read it with me. When When your flesh, that's my money. I work hard for it. When your when your soul is in a fight, I don't want to surrender them. But I don't think that's right. But I don't. You become to become disgruntled, and you begin to wrestle with. I invite you to say this with your mouth, Ramah, spoken word of God. Allow the sword of the Spirit to slash your soul to pieces. And I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to say it with your mouth. And then let your heart begin to believe it. Ready? Here we go. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All right, let's do it again. Ready? Here we go. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay? One more time, but we're going to yell out, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Are you ready? Here we go. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well.